Hello, and welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. The goal of this podcast is to contribute to your success and, in turn, help you contribute to the success of your medtech company. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. This is a crazy time to start a podcast with the coronavirus dominating the news. However, there are important things we medical device professionals can be doing in this altered landscape of strategies and tactics for marketing, sales, and operations. So, working in the era of the coronavirus, hopefully a short era, will be the subject of this first season of episodes. Let's get started. The subject of this episode is the future of the medical device industry during and after the COVID-19 outbreak. And I should be careful to note that I use the words after the COVID-19 outbreak. And the reason that's important is because COVID-19 may be with us for some time. Let me start out by saying that I am biased. I'm a marketing and sales guy. And marketing and sales personalities are typically optimistic. We can leap tall buildings and fly faster than a speeding bullet. We are built to overcome challenges. However, this is a dangerous bias when looking into the COVID-19 future. To counter this bias, I beat myself up with a lot of reading, research, and conversations with medical device executives. What are we going to cover in this podcast? First, we are going to try to define a trend, or a couple trends. And to do this, we're going to look quickly at a lot of data points. Then, we try to connect the dots of all these data points into trends that are going to affect the medical device business over the next 6 to 12 months. At that point, I will give you my prediction on the effect COVID-19 will have on the medical device industry overall and by market segment. Finally. In the last component of the episode, we will explore, in particular, the impact these trends will have on medical device marketing and sales over the next 6 to 12 months. Which function is more important, and how will they change? What impact will this have on strategies and tactics, and where you invest your resources? Up front, I apologize to international listeners, because this is a U.S.-centric view. However, some of it may apply to your countries. And many of you are doing business in the United States, so it can help you understand the landscape here. Before we get started, let's take a quick run-through of the sources of research and information I used to prepare for this podcast. There were off-the-record interviews with medical device executives ranging from chairman of the board, CEO, VP of business development for a billion-dollar medtech firm, to VPs of sales. There was John Pinto and Corrine Wool, highly regarded healthcare management and practice management consultants serving numerous physician practices. There were articles in medical publications like JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. There was the Politico interview with former FDA commissioners McClellan and Gottlieb, the United States CDC, the NIH, which stands for the National Institutes of Health, The Economist magazine, 
medical device online, Reuters, Real Health Data, Numerator, Worldometer, Nielsen, Chadwick Martin Bailey, which is a healthcare market research firm and a division of ATI. And finally, Futurists. I looked into Daniel Burris and Amy Webb, who is the author of the best-selling The Signals Are Talking, a terrific book. And I'll have a link to some of these things on the show notes. My friend Devin Powers, who is a professor at Temple University and author of On Trend, The Business of Forecasting the Future. And finally, I would be remiss if I did not give some credit to Dr. Catherine Uranic, my wife, who is a retired emergency room physician and also worked for about 10 years at the New York City Department of Health, where she was involved in numerous crises and was an expert in disaster preparedness. Through her unique connections to the front line of ER professionals on the East Coast, we've had a sobering view of the world of the coronavirus. What I did not take into consideration when preparing for this podcast were statements and comments from politicians, the large corporate advertising messages we see on TV, and celebrities and their efforts. Granted, many of these things are well-meaning, but they aren't data. And, and quite frankly, the virus just doesn't care what these people say. Let's move on to the data points. The first one, which is a major disruptive current event, and of course, it's COVID-19. Let's just review it really quickly, even though most of you already know a lot about it. It has a very high transmission rate, much higher than other diseases like the flu. It can kill anyone, but the higher mortality rate is over 60, where the death rate for the flu is only 0.1%. For ages 60 to 69, COVID has a mortality rate of 3.6%. Ages 70 to 79, a mortality rate of 8%. And 80, 80 years old and above, it has a mortality rate of 15% where for people that are over 65, the flu does not even have a mortality rate of 1%. There's no treatment or cure on the six-month-to-one-year horizon, despite what people say and politicians like to hint at. It's created a lot of anxiety. It's created social distancing. Due to the response of numerous governments around the world, it's created a lack of trust in government. And it makes people wonder, what are the future norms going to be? And finally, it's caused a global recession that is as bad as 2008 or worse. The next data point is the economic recovery. That is, if there is one, and if we can get some kind of control over the COVID-19 virus. The Economist Magazine's intelligence unit predicts that there's going to be a contraction in the global economy of 2.5% this year. And then looking into next year's numbers, in Q2, they have the United States contracting at negative 5.9%. France, negative 10%. Germany, negative 10%. Japan, this is interesting, negative 0.4%. Of course, China is the only one with growth in Q2 2020. There was an article in Reuters News Service where they polled 50 economists worldwide. Some of them forecast that the economy would shrink as much as 6% in 2020. The other extreme prediction was for a little bit of growth, 
0.7%, but the average was a 1.2% contraction. Karsten Bretzky, Global Head of Macro at ING Research, dubbed the picture, quote, a virus-driven ice age, end quote. When you look at different economic recovery curves, there are at least four kinds. One is the V, that means the economy drops and rebounds quite quickly. There is the U, the economy drops. There's a period of economic stress, and then the economy picks up fairly quickly. But there is a period of stress, a period of uh, time, who knows how long, where the economy is in the doldrums. There's a W, where there's something of a double recovery. Um, And then finally, there's what they call the swoosh, where the economy drops and then starts to rise over a period of time. My personal feeling is it's going to be a swoosh for us, especially in the medical device industry. And keep in mind that different industries will respond different ways uh, in terms of recovery from this particular disaster. The swoosh curve is somewhat supported by the Chadwick Martin Bailey surveys, which showed that baby boomers in the United States, and for the international listeners, that's uh, people 57 years old to 76 years old, are concerned about the economy with 65% seeing us moving into a long-term recession. And this is important because boomer spending is really important to the economy. 51% said the timeline to normal is six months to never. And this survey was taken in March 16th, so this is well before the spike of deaths that we are seeing now in the United States. I'm sure if they took this survey now, the results would be uh, quite different. And by the way, um, Chadwick Martin Bailey is doing regular surveys on this subject, and I'll have a link in the show notes to their website so you can try to stay up to date there. So we've looked at several curves that could be models for an economic recovery, the V, the U, the W, and the swoosh. And of course, many people in business and in politics would love to see a V recovery. And you might say, well, Ted, look at Wuhan, China. They are opening that city's economy and the economy of China back up. That means when we get to the other side of the curve, we will be able to do the same. Okay, so my answer to that is let's talk about Dr. Scott Gottlieb's interview on Face the Nation this morning. What was the backstop for Wuhan's recovery and China's recovery? The backstop was tracking and tracing. In Wuhan, they had 1,800 tracking and tracing teams of five people each. That is a force of 9,000 people deployed in a population of 19 million people. Do you know how large the tracking and tracing team of the CDC is? 600. That means the federal government of the United States has 600 people for tracking and tracing right now. Do individual states have large teams? No. Now, here is another economic recovery factoid from an article in Political, also related to Dr. Gottlieb and his colleague, Dr. McClellan. Both of them, let me remind you that both of them are former FDA commissioners, where they said to effectively open the economy, we would need to be able to do 750,000 rapid COVID tests per week, 750,000 to support tracking and tracing. Right now, the U.S. is averaging 260,000 a week 
and they are not doing any tracking and tracing because they don't have the people to do it. Next, let's look at our customers in the medical device industry. And really, our customers, I would probably divide them up into three categories. One is the hospital systems, the hospitals, the clinics, and the decision makers within those institutions. The next are the doctors that we deal with day in and day out. And finally, it's the patients, the end users of our products. So if we look at the hospitals first, in the United States, they're getting crushed at this time. Even though some of them are being hit with a lot of COVID patients, the fact is they're holding back on all other kinds of procedures so that the resources of the hospital are available for these COVID patients. So the very profitable procedures in cardiovascular and orthopedics and plastics and reconstructive and urology, these procedures aren't taking place. The hospitals are losing money. And proof of this is one thing that uh, Kate and I learned in talking to some of her colleagues is emergency room doctors in some places are having their pay cut. Can you believe that? In the middle of the COVID virus, pay is being cut. And this is because the hospitals are less profitable and the doctors are just one of the many employees at the hospital. So what will hospitals be able to do going forward economically as they try to recover this? And who knows what kind of government support they're going to get or if it's going to be enough to make up for this period of time where they've lost a lot of this important revenue. Next, let's look at our doctors. 43% of physicians in the United States are 55 or older, with specialists, specialists physicians, on average being older than the primary care doctors. So they're the oldest. And who do we sell to a lot of, most of the time, at least a lot of the medical device companies? We're selling to specialists. Then let's look at a very important group, the patients. What is the age of patients our industry treats? Mostly they're older, the majority over 60. And when you investigate their behavior, 36% are very concerned about the COVID virus. 35% are concerned about family members getting infected. 89% of them have changed shopping habits with the highest percentages in the boomers and the elderly. Virus anxiety is leading to putting off doctor visits. There's economic stress at the same time. And then these patients are going to have to employ protective measures. And are these protective measures permanent? You know, I've been grocery shopping three times over the past three weeks, each time wearing protective gear, gloves, mask. It occurred to me yesterday that I'm actually getting used to it. This is somewhat sad then what kind of insurance do these patients have? In many countries, there is a reasonable safety net. In the United States, 25% of patients have a deductible of $2,000 or more. So even if they can keep their insurance during the recession, they will be reluctant to use it due to cash flow concerns. Then many may lose their insurance if they can't afford it due to a job loss. Another point I should make, if you don't mind me circling back to the challenge to our physicians, our specialist physicians, is that in many countries, so-called non-essential physician offices have been told to be closed for anything but 
an emergency type of procedure or event. So these doctors are going to go a month, maybe more, maybe two months with some real cash flow issues. Coming out of this with all the canceled procedures and delayed procedures and appointments and so on, will there be some pent-up demand for medical devices and med tech services? Yes, there will be. And certain parts of the industry will benefit from that. There's no question about it. But there's other parts of the industry that will have a hard time recovering. And our final data point in terms of technologies is telemedicine. And you could probably add artificial intelligence to that as well. Because telemedicine, which has struggled for years to gain any traction, has suddenly exploded. I listened to an interview the other day with the CEO of the Mayo Clinic, and he said prior to COVID, they were doing about 50 telemedicine calls a week. He says now they're doing thousands, and it's growing every day. So you have telemedicine, possibly some artificial intelligence in terms of direct, direct patient evaluation, artificial intelligence built into diagnostic devices. You have um, home devices that could allow some self-diagnosis and reporting in combination with telemedicine, and then diagnostic portability that could support telemedicine. So telemedicine may finally be here to stay, and it offers lots of advantages because in an area of the country that's heavily affected by a medical problem, uh, doctors from other parts of the country can pitch in to relieve demand in that particular area. So there's a lot of use for telemedicine, a lot of promise. So let's start connecting some of the dots of all this information and see if we can determine a few trends. And when we talk about trends, there's lots of way to look at them. Um, the futurist Daniel Burris talks about hard trends and soft trends, and he typically says that you should make your plans based on the hard trend and just be able to react to the soft trend. The hard trend is the long-term trend. So for us, that could be you know, 12 months to two years. But the period right now is so critical, the period that even if the COVID virus is a soft trend and it will be resolved with some type of medical breakthrough, the next 12 months or 6 to 12 months are critical for so many physician practices, um, ambulatory care centers, doctor's offices, that it's going to have a major impact. So when you look at the fact that the economy is going to be so negatively Im impacted with so much unemployment, when you look at the fact that we are not prepared for tracking and tracing to be able to respond to outbreaks, so additional outbreaks will occur, the economy will stutter along, I believe we're going to have a, sh a swoosh recovery. There, the economy is going to drop, and it's going to take a long time for it to recover. And then let's look at the people that we serve, the hospitals, clinics, and the physicians, and think about their traditional, um, the traditional marketing process, <clears throat> how we communicate our value propositions, and the sales process. Let's start with marketing. Trade shows, are they going to be the same? 
does a you know a 60 year old doctor want to go to a trade show and then go down to the exhibit hall floor and mix it up with all these people i don't think so and even if a trade show does get some face-to-face attendance i think they're going to be doing a lot of uh, video presentations uh, to help doctors that don't attend physically to get their CE. So I think trade shows are going to be a lot different. And in fact, are the companies that come and exhibit a trade show, are they going to want to have their employees exposed with that travel and those crowded conditions in the fall of this year? In the United States, the second half of the year is a really big year for uh, you know, equipment sales and uh, medical sales of all types, partly because there's Section 179, which gives people a, a major discount for purchases. It's a tax deduction in the United States. But, you know, also people are looking at their accounting and using up budgets, and they spend a lot of money in the second half of, of the year, typically in a normal year. Uh, this year is not going to be normal. We will not have that spending in the second half of this year. Let's look at the sales process. And you think about it. You know, we in sales are trying to create a sense of urgency when we're um, trying to move a sale along. So we have a doctor or a hospital or a clinic that has definitely expressed interest in a product. They know they need it or they'd like to buy it. And at the time, they had the budget to buy it and a number of good reasons. But they're really busy. So salespeople are immensely important in being in the field to create that urgency, to be standing in the hallway of a doctor's office in between exam lanes to catch the doctor in between patients to push the process along. The same thing in the hospital. Is that going to continue? No, it won't. Older doctors aren't going to want a sales rep that has been in six practices already that day to stop in his office. Doctors aren't going to want salespeople in their lobby where they have 5, 10, or 15 elderly people sitting there. The salesperson's role is going to change significantly for the next 12 months. Now, of course, the importance of the sales role is going to change quite a bit depending on the industry or the segment of the medical device industry that um, someone is in because some segments are going to do pretty well. A lot of other segments are going to suffer for a while. And because the sales role is going to change and the sales process is going to change in many, in many uh, medical device segments, this is where marketing really has to step up. They have to help the sales teams or what's left of sales teams with tools to communicate value propositions in a new way, whether these are uh, ways to use video calls, video clips and emails, use email for prospecting, communication. Sales teams are going to need new tools, new training, to be able to work in this new environment. One of the medical device sales executives I talked to likened this period to mini training camp for some sports team. In other words, they're using this time to give their sales team more skills, more training, so that when they do start communicating with doctors more effectively, they will be 
better prepared to present value propositions in a new way. So they're not wasting this time, they're using it. So how does this all shake out functionally, marketing versus sales? I would put my bet and my investment near term in marketing. As I said a few minutes ago, this is where marketing really has to step up, think outside the box, and figure out ways to stay top of mind, communicate value propositions clearly to physicians in new ways, while these people may have some time on their hands and are waiting for their practices to reopen or waiting for cases to pick up. This is an opportunity, and this is where marketing can make a difference. In fact, we're already seeing this in the industries that I'm closest to. I'm starting to see a lot of advertisements for webinar series, for education websites, for virtual trade show booths. They're finding ways to get engaged with their physician targets. And it's the big companies that are doing this first. So for the small and medium-sized companies, you need to find a way to stand out at the same time. So my bet is on marketing. That's where I'd keep my investment and utilize it. As far as sales goes, I would, depending on the medical device segment I'm in, I'd be tempted to trim a sales organization if it was heavily equipment-oriented, uh, especially because of the way the second half of the year is going to go. But the remaining part of that sales organization, I would invest in as well with new training, new tools, new ways to engage with the physician customers, uh, the important decision makers in clinics and hospitals. So how's it going to work out related to company size? I think the large companies are going to survive. Uh, they have the deep pockets and they can do interesting things, especially in equipment sales when it comes to perhaps long-term financing that is beneficial to the doctor. Um, you know, there are financing plans that allow a doctor get a, uh, a tax deduction this year, but he's still paying monthly payments uh, for the next two or three or four years. Small companies have to find a way to do this to survive. Another thing companies could, could consider with equipment is long-term product demonstrations. Orthopedic companies do this all the time. It's the nature of their competitive environment. But companies in other industries may have to consider this, long-term demonstrations to help the let the product, as one executive said, let the product sell itself. Of course, long-term demonstrations need to be sorted, supported by a sales rep that has been trained to provide that support via video conferencing. Again, back to the new tools that the sales rep has to have. They do need to follow up. They do need to be in touch. But it is different. The other thing small companies need to do is clearly communicate the value proposition and the differential advantages that they have with their products over the products that the larger companies may have. This is going to be a challenge and it's going to require some resources, but it's got to be done. So what's going to happen by industry segments? And there's a lot of segments in the medical device industry, everything from in vitro diagnostics, orthopedics, cardiovascular, you know, wound management, diabetes, ophthalmic, dental, urology, general surgery, plastic surgery, and so on. And I would even include, I don't know if you'd call this medical devices, but 
technically some of them are in terms of protective gear. Um, so if you're in a device segment that is really surgically oriented and you're treating a real important issue, like in orthopedics, you have hips and shoulders and joints and backs that have to be treated. There is pent-up demand right now building for these cases to be managed. Cardiovascular is the same way. People have to be treated. And then certain areas of diagnostic imaging, especially in the hospital, they'll be okay, especially on the reusables, but maybe not on the new equipment. The same thing for orthopedics and cardiovascular. Um, hospitals are in trouble financially. They may not make the big budget equipment upgrades that they'd like to make this year. They'll have to wait till next year. But you're, you'll still need your sales teams your, that are in the operating room and in the hospital assisting with so many other things. They're going to be important. They're going to be needed. And to maintain your relationship in these institutions, it's probably best to keep them on. Same with wound management. You know, diabetes care is going to come back. But there's other places where people can put things off. You know, it's easy to, for somebody to put off a, a dental like appointment, like a cleaning, or an ophthalmic appointment, or an optometric appointment. These are things that are going to be difficult to recover from. You know, some surgical procedures. And, you know, dermatology um, is going to be put off. Plastic surgery, especially if it's cosmetic. Reconstructive is needed to a certain extent, but it can also be put off to a certain extent. So those are all places where there's going to be a lot more danger in the next months, six months to 12 months um, in terms of, you know, sales revenues and equipment purchases. And finally, in protective gear, you know, which is dominated by the hospital supply companies for the most part, this is going to explode. And this is going to be a big opportunity for sales and marketing individuals because not only are they going to be serving hospitals and clinics, they're going to be serving other areas of an industry like they never did before and society because the wearing of masks and protective gear is going to become much more important in homes, schools, universities, city and state services, factories of all kinds, and other places. So to summarize, for the medical device industry, we will have a swoosh recovery, which means a sharp drop in the economy with a long tail recovery. And of course, it'll be a little different from one segment of the industry to the other. Marketing and sales may be changed for a long time. Invest in marketing now to find new effective ways to communicate your value proposition and protect your brands. In sales, redefine your sales process, restructure your sales team to this new environment, and give them the tools and training they need to compete. In technology, you may look for ways for your products to complement telemedicine. Large companies may have to restate earnings if they're public, but use their financial muscle to support financing, long-term demonstrations of products and or services. Small companies have to be agile and find a way to communicate the differential advantages they have to their customers and survive until we get through this. Wow. That's a lot to digest, isn't it? So I apologize if you feel like I just made you take a cold shower, um, grab a towel, dry off, put your kick-ass clothes on, because you've got work to do, get out and uh, make the strategic and tactical decisions you need to 
survive and succeed in this new environment. It can be done. In every episode, we have an immediate impact idea that you can put into practice today. And today's immediate impact idea is for, it doesn't matter what position you're in, executive, marketing, and sales, call two or three customers that you know you can reach by phone, ask them how they are, ask them how their families are, and then ask them for their opinion as to how your company can interact with them going forward in this new environment. As promised in the show notes, I'll have some links to some resources. And by the way, um, I do not have any affiliate relationship with any of the authors of the books or any of the other links. Um, These are for your benefit. I'm really glad you spent time with me today. If you like the podcast, please rate it and subscribe. Feel free to send me questions or comments. Otherwise, go win your week. 